This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talking about chicken a la king. Mango and garbanzo tabbouleh. Little potatoes and vegetables with roasted garlic and basil. Zucchini ziti. Granola fruit bar. Look at all this beautiful food. Welcome to Green Eggs and Dan, where I interview amazing people with amazing minds, but all I care about is what is in their fridge. Very excited about my guest today. One of the most famous food podcasters in the world. He hosts the James Beard award-winning show, The Sporkful. He is the creator and host of The Food Networks. You're eating it wrong. And um, is it Food Network or Cooking Channel? Which one was that on? Uh, Cooking Channel. Cooking Channel. Uh, You're eating it wrong. Parent company is Food Network. And he created a new pasta shape. That is my, the most impressive uh, thing about your bio, Dan. <laughs> Cascatelli, which he says is the ideal pasta shape. Shots fired, Radiatori. Please welcome <laughs> uh, Dan Pashman is here. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hey, Dan. It's great to be here. Thanks so much. Of course. Of course. Uh, I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, you you created the space of the Non-Pretentious Food Podcast. So um, you... Uh, I was I would say you walked so that I could run but you're running faster than I'm running so you 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 sprinted so that I could I could jump. <laughs> I don't know that it's a race in any case but yeah I mean look uh you know my background is in radio and audio that's sort of what I came up in I always sort of wanted to host my own radio show um I I hosted a show on an internet radio station called radioboston.com in about 2000 this was lo- long before smartphones or even iPods and um and you had to listen through a laptop to be able to listen to this streaming radio station. You can, you can imagine why it didn't succeed. <laughs> Point is that I had my sights set on uh, on audio for a long time, so uh, it sort of came up that way into and stumbled into food. Yeah. Um, well, you stumbled in nicely because I can't believe I'm about to say this. We might have the nicest fridge that I've seen really? in the hundreds of episodes of Green Eggs and Dan thus far. You guys can see Dan's fridge on my Instagram, at StandUpDan. This is a pretty damn near perfect fridge. I didn't plan it, but actually you're right. I mean, you caught me on a pretty good day. It, yeah. looks, or- it looks more organized than my life feels. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the symmetry, the colors, the, yeah. <laughs> I mean, even the bend in the QP Mayo bottle, just yeah. everything. <laughs> It's very, very perfect here. Let's start with the top row here. So um, automatically, the thing that comes out uh, is you've got these 
Very brown bananas. I'm assuming you're saving for banana bread. That's what all the fancy food people do. Well, my, my wife usually is the banana bread baker in the house, and that is why she was saving those. But those did not make it to banana bread. You know, at a certain point, they cross over when they're like they're like disintegrating on the shelf. Yeah, and that's... those met an untimely demise. Uh, even so, it still doesn't take away from the beauty of this fridge. This fridge is a, is a living organism, all right? Yeah. Things <laughs> things live, things die. Right, right. Behind that, you've got the Kedem kosher wine. Uh, that's kosher grape juice. That's for uh, we, do, we typically do Shabbat dinner. My family's Jewish, so we're not super religious, but we do Shabbat dinner every uh, almost every Friday with our kids, and so they get grape juice. Okay, got it. Uh, and then we have... The bust of cucumbers over here. Yes, I believe they're usually sold as under the Persian cucumber label. Yes. Um, but yeah, my, my daughter Emily in particular loves those. She loves Caesar salad. She loves cucumbers dipped in Caesar dressing. Lately, she's I, I taught her about scooping out the seeds from the cucumber and, and putting things inside. Like she's been into cottage cheese. So she'll scoop out the cucumber and put cottage cheese in, um, like a, make a little boat. So those are... Those are for, mostly for Emily and my my older daughter Becky. And as a Persian, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I get a residual every time someone buys I, Persian. I, I put that in for you, Dan. Thank you, I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> On the second row here, we have this is the the pasta, all the pasta. This is the museum of pasta. Yeah, I see some tortellini over here, and then I see the, probably the biggest spiral pastas I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, so that so th- that that mm. at, at at a glance you might say, oh, that's fusilli. But it's not fusilli, it's fusiloni. And I think that fusilli is a garbage pasta shape. That's the, the corkscrew spiral. It never cooks evenly. The edges turn to mush while the center spine is still hard. Mm. It actually has too much surface area. Sauce overwhelms it, and the whole thing will eventually turn, will turn to mush pretty quickly. But if you get fusiloni, which are basically like giant fusillis, then everything is just bigger and thicker and more durable, and it's one of my very favorite shapes. Wait, is that something that that you created, or this is a this is an existing shape? That's an existing shape. Yeah, you can get Fusiloni. It's out there. Actually, there's some pretty big box stores that have like store brand versions that are fine. You know, if you can get it from like a Italian producer, sort of more, a little more upscale, you're like you know, it's better wheat and all that. You get a little more flavor out of it, but it's a good shape anyway. So I, yeah, uh, I do love Fusiloni. It's like it, it it holds sauce the way you want fusilli to, but without falling apart the way fusilli does. Hmm. I am a huge fan of uh, of the big pastas, and if I feel like pakari is having a moment. Mm, yeah, I'm seeing it a lot more uh, in stores where I didn't see it before. It's basically uh, it's like penne on steroids, um, and I I mean I I feel like it's it's. It's typically reserved for for more seafoody pastas, but I don't know, man. I like it with everything. You're you're a pakari fan. I love. It's I mean, so I much love, fun. It, yeah, it's it's like a short tube, usually not ridged, but it's very. I mean, but it it's a short shape, but it's it's long by tube standards. It's more. I would say it's more like an extra thick, extra long rigatoni, but without ridges. Right. But. It's so thick. I love how tooth sinkable it is that you can really like you can sink your teeth into it. It's extremely satisfying. Sometimes it's cut so big that I can't get it in my into my mouth, which I find kind of like like that then what's the point of making it so big if you have to cut it in half? You might as well use a tube that's shorter. You know what I'm saying? Look, I think it's like it's like nigiri. It doesn't matter how big it is, you have to shove that whole thing in your mouth. <laughs> Do you have that issue with pockery, Dan? I don't think so. Um maybe I don't know. I, mouth. I, I I or maybe I haven't thought it I haven't thought about it, but I think I'm okay. Here's the thing, it's not the best at at holding sauce at all. 
I mean, right. it just slips right through it. It's like a big, it's like the Midtown Tunnel. And <laughs> <laughs> but there's something very fun about it. I like the way it looks in the plate. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I know it doesn't make much sense, but I'm no, still no, no. a fan. I, I, I love how, how too sinkable it is. And it doesn't bother me that it doesn't hold much sauce. I think it's more like that's a pasta shape that you want with more like stabbable preparations. Yeah. So so when you, like you, you wouldn't do pakuri with a thin, oily sauce. If you do it with big chunks, you stab around the plate, you get great bites. I just don't like when it gets too long. And then I feel like when it's, when it's so long, you might as well just do like – there's a shape called mezze manike that's similar to rigatoni. It's sort of like a shorter version of pockery. It's like a half-length pockery. Oh. Mezze manike just means like short sleeves. And um, that's like, it's very similar, but, um, you know, but, but a little bit more, a little easier to fit in your mouth. I mean, we're going off on a pasta tangent here, and I'm okay with it because I love tangenting on things <laughs> off of the fridge. But I do think... One, I was enamored by Radiatore because it's very cute because it looks like a radiator. But I do think that's a very good one at kind of – it's functionally a very good shape as well. I think it does have a lot of nooks and crannies for the pasta to go hide in. Um, It's very fun, that shape. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Radiatore is a good shape. Holds a lot of sauce. Um, You know, I I like when you can get one that's a little bit bigger. You know, like as it comes out of the dye, it starts to curl, and you get some that are sort of like a half a circle as they've curled around a three quarter. I like when you kind of get almost it comes around to a full circle. Yeah. So it's almost like a tube that has a, a, a slit opening, but it's got all those spiny ruffles sticking out. I love those. Love it. Now you have some tortellinis here. Are these tortellini or? Yeah, those are spinach and cheese tortellinis, refrigerated in the package. You know, the kids love those. They're good for uh, you know whipping whipping up for uh, you know sometimes we send send the kids to school with those for lunch or you know throw them together for dinner when we're in a pinch. It's an old old reliable. I have a feeling you're blaming all of the fun kid stuff on the kids, <laughs> and you're you're actually at home having the tortellini with the Kedem wine yourself, right? <laughs> with the grape juice <laughs> and the cucumbers, yeah, <laughs> and the cucumbers. You're like, ah, it's for the kids. Yeah. Okay, and then uh, what's this uh, this yellowness over here? That's orange liquid is soup. My wife Janie, she's you know, uh, she's she grew up in a very soup family. Like every sit down meal, like there's always soup. Every Shabbat dinner, every holiday, there's always soup. So she makes a lot of soup. She makes great soup. That one is probably some combination of carrots, carrot and squash, and you know um, are the main ingredients. That's why it's orange. I was uh, cooking last night, and I was just trying to empty the fridge. I had some carrots that were probably in my fridge for six months, I'm going to say. Right. And they still kind of, like, they don't get, why do carrots never go bad, it seems? Yeah, they, they're they're one of the more durable, you know, vegetables out there. It's true. Yeah, carrots um, and potatoes. Potatoes last forever, too. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully I don't die, but I ate them. Um, <laughs> over here in the door, you've got these fun. I, I just got like a five pack of these Japanese. Like they come in like a like a little toothpastey uh, tube. They're like little Japanese condiments. Uh, I don't know how you describe them. This is probably the wasabi one, but they come in like different flavors. There's, there's the yellow one. There's the red one. Uh, they're very fun. You can get them on Amazon. I love these. Really? I haven't tried the other one. What are the other ones? I mean, yes, that is wasabi in my fridge, and it's like better than the wasabi that comes with the sushi when you order from a typical sort of sushi joint. Um, so I, 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 you know, I'm, I, I have my, my fancier soy sauce and fancier wasabi to go with the sushi that we get. But what are the other ones? I have an orange one that is uh, 
Uh, it's like some sort of mustard, and then they have like one that's like a something spicy, uh, like chili spicy. They've got pretty fun ones. Uh, I think there is like a five pack somewhere, but they are great. I will send you. I'll send you the link of it once. Once we get off here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to check that out. Okay, I'm going to have to ding you a little bit, if that's okay. I'm ready. I can take it. Okay, you are you, obviously a man of, of fantastic taste. You have wonderful products. Okay. <laughs> you have, uh, you know, you've got a lot of fun, random stuff in here. And then you've got the basic bitch yellowtail Sauvignon Blanc or Chardonnay, I'm assuming. So Dan, I, you're better than this. You're better than this. And, and don't tell me it's for the kids. I'm <laughs> I'm not really actually better than that to be honest. I'm really not a wine drinker. I I I'm more of a beer and liquor drinker when I drink. I I will occasionally have wine, white wine when I drink white wine. I'm often drinking it on the rocks, which I know is like blasphemy for like hardcore wine people, although I once interviewed Jacques Pepin, the sort of fa- the famous French TV host and chef. And after we finished taping, he was like, you want some wine? And I was like, you know, I'm not going to turn down a chance to have wine with Jacques Pepin. And he <laughs> poured his wine over ice. And so he's like, do you want ice? I was like, sure, I'll have it however you're having it, Jacques. You know? And I drank it over ice, and I was like, this is so much better. Whoever bought that bottle of wine, somebody brought that to our house when they were invited over. And I opened it because we had guests who were drinking wine or because I was cooking with it. And then it's probably, I mean, it probably has been in the fridge for two to three months. Um, so I don't even know if it's good anymore, what, what what to do with it, other than I would probably cook with it again if I needed it. I'm shocked that Jacques Pepin was cool with that. Or, you know, maybe that maybe it's a thing that is fine in France, but we get pretentious about it here. Right. Well, it, w- it was the middle of the afternoon. Maybe that's like his day drinking technique. I don't know. <laughs> I, had him on, I had him on this show, and he was telling us how he and Julia Childs would just get completely hammered while they were shooting their show. Yeah. <laughs> which... That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. He also, by the way, had uh, bananas like that in his fridge. Oh, did he? Yeah, he had the brown bananas in the fridge. Yeah. I bet he got around to cooking them, though. He wouldn't throw them out. Uh, yeah, Jacques don't, Jacques don't fuck around. <laughs> yeah, well, all in all, fantastic fridge. Is there anything that you'd like to talk about in the fridge that I haven't touched upon? I, I will say I love mm. the – you've got the Tillamook – is that Tillamook butter or Tillamook yeah, cheese? Butter. Yeah, butter. That's the butter section. we got a variety of butters up there. Yeah. Um. Um, well, if you know, well, so you can highlight on, on the on the right hand drawer as you face it, you see Coleman's mustard, which is my all time favorite mustard. That small yellow jar, yeah. Like, you know, uh, I love that plus ketchup on burgers and hot dogs. I love the Coleman's on meatloaf. It's just it it kind of has a bit of a wasabi spice to it. I freaking love Coleman's mustard. And then, Do you ever uh, use the Coleman's powdered mustard? I haven't because you know because like. You know, but I understand that gives you a little more flexibility you know, to adjust the ratios of how thick and how strong the flavor you want. Have you tried it? Yeah, I I used it in I've used it in in some dressings. I think the only reason I have it is because Thomas Keller has in his ad hoc cookbook, I believe, is like a recipe for coleslaw, which is a fantastic coleslaw recipe, and he uses. Right. The mustard powder in it. I could see that being good. I, I I will put that sometimes in my potato salad. Like when I make potato yeah. salad, I go I go very easy on the mayo, and I use mustard. And sometimes I'll do Coleman's if I'm feeling a little saucy. Yeah, I like that. You've got the fun. You got some fun uh, Asian ingredients here. It seems. Uh, is this like some sort of uh, sambal situation? That's sambal. That's right. Yep. Um, I got the good oyster sauce there that I got at H Mart. That's got actual oysters in it. Oh uh, no you way! Actually, you can actually taste there are actual like fish in it 
Um, so it's a little bit funky. So it's it's really really good. If you look on the top shelf in that on that on that door, that's a, a papaya scotch bonnet pepper hot sauce that I got. I was doing a sporkful podcast taping in the Bronx featuring these guys um, from Ghetto Gastro, which is this sort of like culinary collective based in the Bronx. They sort of do events and all kinds of different artistic collaborations. And I was up there eating with them in a few different spots that have sort of been inspirational to them in the Bronx. And one of the places had this hot sauce like on all the tables. And it was so freaking good. I was like, do you guys sell this? And they said, sure. So I bought like six bottles. I brought it to all the Sporkful producers and and friends. And it is just, I mean, scotch bonnet peppers to me are like my all-time favorite hot peppers. So if I can get my hands on any kind of scotch bonnet hot sauce, I will. But this one has papaya, so it's a little bit thicker and mm. fruity, but also still very spicy. It's It blows blows me away. Is it like a Jamaican thing? Yes, it's from the Caribbean. I'm, I'm not positive which Caribbean. I mean, there's more than, more than one Caribbean island where you'll find scotch bonnet peppers. Definitely Jamaica is one of them. Trinidad, uh, I know also. Um, so it c- kind of depends on uh, depends on where you're at. God, I wish you, you don't know the name of it, do you? The brand? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you, if you want to wait a minute, I can crawl up the stairs. Yeah, well, I mean, we can wait. I'd like to give them a shout out. I'm going to go up this upstairs. I'll be back. Just give me a couple minutes because I'm on my crutches. Oh, shit. Wait, I forgot about the crutches. God damn it. I feel bad now. He's on crutches. Dan and I both have broken. <laughs> I broke my ankle. He had to get foot surgery. We're both in the same boot uh, doing this podcast for you people. Okay. I hope you're I hope you're enjoying this amazing content. The man is risking his, his life to go get you the name of this Scotch Bonnet hot sauce. Better fucking buy it. Okay. Can you okay. hear me? All right, I'm yes. back. By the way, Dan, I totally forgot you were in crutches for a reason. <laughs> and as you were like, as you were like, hold on, it's gonna take me a while. I'm on crutches, and you took your headphones out. I was like, no, 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 wait, it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. It turns out that my wife left the dog in the backyard, and she was barking to come in. I realized, so it's I okay. To, it's fine. Don't worry about it. So I have it here, Dan. It is Matuks West Indian Hot Sauce. Matuks. It looks like. It's got that Aladdin font, M A T O U K S. Yeah, uh, it's it's manufactured in Trinidad and Tobago. Very cool. Now that I'm looking at the bottle again, I remember like I actually googled it. Like I couldn't even, I don't know if I even found it. Let me see. Yeah, you can find it. It's 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 online, but um, but it's it's not it's not easy to find. But you could definitely get it shipped to your house. One of my favorite hot condiments is from India, India. Something called Nirav. It's like extra hot mango. It's it's Ooh. a mango thing as well. Man, it blows me away and it's so hard to find. Like you can only get it from some weird website that you like know they're going to steal your credit card number from. But uh it's so good. Uh, but I also found I found the sauces that I was talking about, but it's all these different ones. Yeah, so this one is my favorite. There's like a grated daikon and pepper, this yellow one. Ooh. Yeah, it's very cool. So it's it's wasabi, karashi, citron pepper, momizi, oroshi, which is the grated daikon and pepper, and grated ginger. I mean, it is a fun little pack. It's 12 bucks on Amazon. Pretty pretty fun to have. That looks amazing. So you started off as a radio person, and then you ended up being like a food radio god. What is, What was that transition like? Were you always a food nerd, or you kind of nerd learned how to be one? I mean, I, I grew up in a food-obsessed family. I always loved food. I always loved to eat. And I always had a very kind of obsessive personality. So I always was the kind of person who would, like, analyze everything in great detail, 
what you know, food or otherwise. But you know, because I love to eat and was passionate about food, a lot of my obsessiveness and general attention to, de- to detail was focused on food. So even before I got into food podcasting, my friends would tease me. For, we'd go to the diner, like after you know, go out for a night of drinking and come home, you know, go to the diner the next morning, and I was always gonna. Never quite have something that was on the menu. It always involved like assembling some sort of elaborate, like turning an omelet into a sandwich with three different English muffins. There was always a system. I was always kind of playing with my food and building something. And and you could always sort of see my friends chuckling, like, "What's he going to do this time?" Um, you know, um, I had I, I had a lot of opinions about things like you know oh, you, the cheese should go underneath the burger because then the cheese is closer to your tongue and also it acts as a seal which prevents the bottom bun from turning soggy. So I had all these kinds of like you know, half-baked theories, when I decided I wanted to start my own podcast, I knew I wanted to host my own podcast. It was like, what's it going to be about? Most of my work up until then had been in, in political talk radio, news radio, some comedy stuff, but like, it was like topical news, you know, comet, p- political comedy. But I sort of felt like I don't really need to do a podcast about politics. Like this, I don't know that I have anything, I have opinions, but I don't know that I have anything interesting to say. Right. Um, there's there's thought, enough of those. Right, there's but, enough of those. I thought with food, I'm like, well, actually, I kind of have this quirky approach. And then when I started out on it and got a couple years in with my sort of quirky, obsessive approach to food, I had one of these sort of like usual suspects moments where you look back on all the years and you're like, you're like how could I have ever not known that this is where all these roads were leading? Like, why did it take me so long to see that, you know, what everyone else could see? Um, like, this is sort of the role I was born to play. So. Um, so I didn't necessarily, you know, set out no, understanding this about myself. It was sort of following a hunch. And then I got to a point where I was like, oh, yes, no, this actually makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you are a big fan of food history, which uh, I am as well. Um, do you have like a favorite? I, I feel like whenever I'm at a party, I, I always have a couple of fun food facts to throw out, fun food stories, uh, historical. Uh, do you have any that are like your go-to on the tip of your tongue, interesting food history things that people that, – that is a, a little bit of a mind blower? I mean, it always depends a bit on the context, but I know, like, you know, I, I'm very interested in in how, like, a lot of our ideas about what's healthy are actually have actually been shaped by marketing. So, like, the whole slogan of like breakfast is the most important meal of the day, like, that's a marketing slogan that was invented by a guy named Edward Bernays. He's the same guy who came up with the whole like four out of five doctors agree that like this is the best toothpaste or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. that whole that old like he he invented that. And he would go to some doctors and and do this sort of like a, a a quasi-scientific study, but not a legitimate scientific study, but just enough that he could say like four out of five doctors. He might have only asked five doctors, but four of them <laughs> gave him the answer he wanted. So he said four out of five. Um, <laughs> so so he was hired, I think, by Hormel to to sell bacon, and he went wow. to a few do- and and he went to some doctors and was like, you know, do you agree that? Uh, you know, people should eat your breakfast. Like people should eat breakfast, right? They were like, "Yeah, sure, eat breakfast." And he was like, "And and don't you think that like bacon, like that would be that would make for a very hearty breakfast, don't you think?" And they were like, "Yeah, sure." And then he sort of like took out these ads in newspapers that were dressed up to look like articles, and they would say, you know, trumpet these headlines: "Doctors say a hearty breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Start your day with Hormel bacon." And so that is where we get the old idea that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. No way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And now it's all intermittent fasting, like stay away from breakfast. <laughs> right, right, right. Four out of five doctors say that intermittent fasting <laughs> is the best thing for you. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting one. How about um, you? What's one of your go-tos? You know, I love uh, oldie but a goodie is the, the quinine and a gin and tonic was made to stave off malaria. Wait, that's true or that's a myth? No, that's true. 
Oh. That's true. The British military in uh, in South America, they needed to have more quinine because it was the only way to, to fight off malaria, but they didn't want to take it. So being Brits, they were like, uh, just mix it with gin and, and you'll be fine. And so quinine is the it's the main ingredient in t- in tonic tonic water. It's like the um the iodine and the salt. Yes. It is the iodine and the salt for goiters. Although I feel like I don't see any goiters anymore and I rarely see iodized salt anymore. Yeah, maybe we're getting enough iodine elsewhere. But like it does it does make you wonder like maybe we should get back to that. Like you know how much easier would the last years have been if they had just like put the COVID vaccine in the drinking water, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just don't put even it in... make it a debate. Let's not no. even talk about it. What could go wrong? Sneaking it... medicine into the drinking water would be great. <laughs> put it in a Reese's peanut butter cup, and yes, <laughs> everyone would have been vaccinated in twelve hours. <laughs> uh, it's so true. Instead of having to wait in a line to get injected, I just... know, right. You got these parents showing up at school board meetings. Don't vaccinate our kids. Uh, sorry, your kid ate a peanut butter cup at lunch. It's done. <laughs> oh, it's in peanut butter cups? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll take one. Uh, that's funny. So uh, who is who is the most exciting person that you've met through your travails in podcast space? Um, hmm. That that Because I feel like this is the thing that you and I have common, in common is that we know that we know food pretty well. And so we can get in, we can weave our way into conversations by using food. And people that, you know, we probably have no business uh, talking to, we end up talking to because that's, it's, it's our angle. It's what we got. Weird, I mean, I, I had Weird Al on a number of years ago. That was very exciting. I mean, you know, Weird Al was amazing. Um, I'm trying to think of other, I mean, you know, I don't know if you feel this way. Like I, I, you know, I was, I was, so I was a radio producer for ten years before I started my own podcast, yeah. and I met a lot of famous people as you know behind the, when I was working behind the scenes, you know, at NPR or Air America Radio or Sirius XM. Like you know, a lot of famous people came through the doors, and you know, you you and I'm, I didn't get quality time with them. I don't pretend to like know them, but like even in a brief interaction, you're just sort of like, oh, you're a human being, and maybe I just get jaded, but I sort of like I, I think that I. Certainly, there are certain people who I'd be intimidated by, but I also feel like, as an interviewer, I think that when you you know when you go to interview a famous person, if you start off by being like, "Oh my God, you're amazing! I I worship you," it immediately kind of alters the dynamic of the conversation. Mm. It probably makes them put up their guard a little bit because it it puts it, the two of you then are not like on equal footing, mm. and so I, I sort of make a concerted effort when I'm interviewing someone famous to like. I, I sort of like try to put up a wall in my head and kind of forget who they are. And I try very hard, especially early in the conversation, to be like very kind of – You insult them. You start out yeah. with an insult. <laughs> Do you know how much you suck? Um, no, just, just like to, to, to really make an effort. Talk to, the, to talk to them about very mundane things like because it just makes it makes the interaction feel more like a normal everyday talk that isn't high stakes and that I'm not – you know. and I think that it allows that person to feel like, oh, we're, we're two equals talking mm. to each other. And I, and so, because of that, I sort of uh, I think I sort of almost like sort of convince myself this person isn't famous. Then after the fact, someone will be like, "You talked to that person? How were they? What were they like?" And I'm like, "They were really nice. It was fine." You know, like <laughs> yeah, I told I told Barack Obama his tie sucked, and then we started. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's funny. That it, that is actually a very smart way to go about it. I feel like I do the opposite. I do kind of geek out on them. But the funny thing is I know a lot of famous people from being an actor and a writer, but food famous people were always the ones that actually got me starstruck. 
Right. So I feel like when I interviewed Ruth Reichel, I must have sounded like the big, I was like such a fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> and then like with Henry Winkler, I was like, fine. But it's, um, <laughs> I feel like coming from the stand-up world, we're so used to building people up before we introduce them on stage. Right, right. And so that's like kind of. I think it's also kind of like an, like uh I... LA entertainment industry default way of interacting, which is like everybody's out there hustling and doing their best to get their careers jump started. And so everyone's always kind of giving each other pep talks of like, you're doing so amazing, you're doing so great. And like you are. And like that so like it's 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 well intentioned and it's a nice thing to say and 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 all that. But I think that like it almost sort of becomes a reflex at a certain point. You just be like, You're amazing. No, you're amazing. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just sort of like, you know, I think from the listener's perspective, like if you can get people to, to talk more like regular people it will be a little you know and then it, has, it puts a different tenor on the conversation yeah i think you're right um and uh now would be a good time to tell you i hate your sweatshirt it's awful <laughs> it's gross <laughs> edward bernays the guy who invented the breakfast is the most important meal of the day expression also created another food related pr win that is now referred to as the guilt barrier Betty Crocker came up with an instant cake mix that nobody was buying. Bernays set up a focus group for the target market, American Housewives, and he concluded that they felt an unconscious guilt for using a product that required so little effort to make. Ah, the 50s. The answer? Give these guilt-ridden housewives a greater sense of participation by requiring them to add an egg to the mixture. Sales suddenly soared as cracking an egg tickled the depths of the subconscious and removed the barrier of guilt. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So uh, I'm going to start asking the, I'm going to get to the questions that I ask every guest, starting with what is your earliest food memory? I mean, you know, I, I probably have to go back to Tuesday and Thursday nights. Those were the nights that my mom worked late. so She didn't cook and the babysitter would make. And Tuesday nights was cottage cheese pancake night. Cottage cheese pancakes, like an Eastern European thing, um, uh, maybe Jewish probably jew probably jewish jew adjacent um, yeah yeah um cottage cheese pancakes like savory pancakes you don't eat them with syrup we just ate you know they're really good like cottage cheese and sour cream eggs and flour is and it like a de like a deconstructed blintz kind of, it probably is the same family yeah mm. yeah okay be cottage cheese flour mm. eggs salt little sugar they're a little bit sweet but they weren't mm. like like american breakfast pancakes they were more savory um very delicious i love those and then, um, and then Thursday night was hot dog night, and my brother and I have hot dogs, and and then always with like steamed broccoli or steamed string beans that we would dip into ketchup, mm. and uh, and so those are very 
I, I don't eat as many cottage cheese pancakes these days as I would like to. Once in a while, I'll get the craving and I'll make it for my family. I do really like them, but we, we, eat a lot, we eat a lot of hot dogs, though. Got it. So what is your death row meal? So let me think of a reason you're on death row. Um, how about <laughs> you, the Fusili people hear this episode, and they're like, we got right. to get this guy our Fusili. And they show up yeah. at your door with just fucking boxes of Fusili, and you're like... <laughs> God damn it! And you <laughs> and you grab you grab a bunch of your big ass fusilis that you have, and you you just like shove them in their mouths, and they all like asphyxiate and choke on, <laughs> on fusiloni. And now you're on death row. What is your death row meal? Uh, you know, the best shape for 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 that though would be a shape called strozzapretti, which literally means the priest strangler. It means and the it what? The priest strangler. <laughs> okay. Because supposedly, like, gluttonous priests would gorge on this pasta shape to the point that they would almost choke, uh, as as legend has it. But it is a great name, Strozzapretti. Strozzapretti. That's amazing. So, uh, but, okay, let's say I found a way to kill some people with some fusiloni. Death row meal, it would probably involve flour tortillas. Fresh, homemade, like, made within a minute or five of eating flour tortillas. To me... Mm. I I always have flour tortillas in my refrigerator. It's my go-to. Like if I have any kind of leftovers, meats or vegetables, and I have them for lunch the next day, wrap them in a flour tortilla. Roast broccoli, leftover, take a flour tortilla, mozzarella, chili crisp, microwave it, put in the broccoli. That's lunch. Mm. If I have dal and I you know I'm not I'll take flour tortillas in, in lieu of like a more traditional Indian bread and rip run run it through the dal and pinch that with my fingers and eat it that way. I and and every culture has some version of a flour tortilla. They're a little different, but like there's there's so many different versions of those sort of doughy chewy encasements and any cuisine that is serving something like that. I love it. I love that. That's a great one. Do you make and you make your own? No, I've never made my own. I'm too intimidated and scared. I, I feel like it would be a lot of work, and I'm I'm positive I'd be disappointed in what in my in the results. <laughs> it's one of those things like maybe when I get older and I'm like you know my kids are out of the house and I have like an afternoon to just like whatever. Maybe I'll that will be my hobby is like perfecting my flour tortillas. Right, right. now I buy them at Trader Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I highly recommend you look at, at uh, you look into Iran's version of the flour tortilla, which is something called sangak. Okay, uh, which I I I it looks like you've never had it, which makes me envious of you because it's the it's one of the best bread products ever. S a n g a k. I'm looking at it. wow, and sangak means little rocks because in Iran they cook it on top of little hot rocks, and so it makes these little divots in it. Um, but it's a fantastic flatbread that I, that's my go-to dip into everything. Oh my everything. God, this looks amazing. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's really, really good. I really want this now. <laughs> yeah. I got a picture here of some woman holding, hanging up whole sheets of it. Yeah, yeah. Are you, where do you live? You're in New York? Yeah, out, out in the suburbs, outside the city. Oh, okay. Yeah, my parents live in Great Neck in Long Island. And, oh, uh, yeah, so there's a, there a lot of Persian stuff there. Yeah, you can uh, get some pretty good sangak there. Okay. So what is the best high-end meal you've ever had? <sighs> best high-end meal I've ever had. I like it. You're hearing these for the first time, which tells me that your producer or your assistant didn't pass them on like we asked her to. No, no, she, she did pass them on, and I did look through them. But I also <laughs> sort of like think it's kind of fun to like not over not think it through too much. I like that it's getting you're getting it off the dome. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the truth is high-end meals usually leave me disappointed. Like, is, is a high-end meal just like, can that just, like a fancy steakhouse, can that count? That can I, count. By the way, you can also give me your worst, if you have a iconic worst high-end meal. Well, I just, you know, in general, I don't want, I, I don't like meals where it feels like the chef is trying very hard to impress me. I don't want to feel like a parent whose kid has come home from school, like, daddy, daddy, look what I did. You know, like, mm-hmm. it, it feels like desperate and trying too hard. There's intellectual eating, and then there's sort of, like, sensual eating. Mm-hmm. And you can eat, like, I understand that maybe it's for some people, you can go to a great meal by a great Michelin-starred chef, and they're going to put some foam on something that was freeze-dried, you know, some sort of super high-end thing. And intellectually, you might eat it and be like, huh, that's really interesting. I've never tasted anything like that before. but like. It doesn't hit you in your gut and just like, yes, that's so freaking good. Right. I want to eat more of that. Like, and, and those are the meals that I gravitate towards. Like years ago, I, I went to WD50, Wiley Dufresne's place, and they, I was so looking forward to eating. I saw on the menu they had a rye fettuccine, mm-hmm. like fettuccine that tastes like rye bread with shaved pastrami on top. Yes. And, and I was like, oh, my God, I love pastrami and rye. He turned it into a pasta dish. That's genius. I can't wait to eat this. And it was like $25 for four bites of pasta. And I ate it and was like, you know, it would have been better than that. Pastrami on rye. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I would say that, that, that like, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm, more, I'm, I'm less interested in, in having sort of a, a chef blow my mind and more interested in just sort of like having something really good and hearty. Well, give me the steakhouse meal then. There was a place, uh, I don't know if it's even still open, a place in New York called Baldoria, an Italian restaurant where they had a steak for two that I was once very hungry and ordered the entire thing for myself. And, you know, like, I'm not a huge red meat eater, but when I, but it's, but it's one of the few foods that I will really crave. Like when I want red meat, I really need a burger or a steak. It's not often, but when when the craving hits, it must be satisfied. And when that, that craving happened to have hit me that night when I was in that restaurant, when I was very hungry and I got the steak for two. And I mean, I just, you know, just perfectly cooked, perfectly juicy, to me, like a great steak, you, the more you eat it, the hungrier you get. Well, I've got some bad news for you. Once that craving <laughs> hits you, you can no longer go to Baldoria because it is closed. Oh, bummer. Well, next time. Although it looks like there is one in Long Beach, so you just have to... There was one on... It was on West 49th, I'm assuming, the one you went to. Now it's in Long Beach, uh, Long Island. Oh, that's so, odd. Okay. Yeah. So, right. Which might be closer to you. I don't know. Yeah. Might be a good thing. What is your favorite uh, drunk food? What do you drink, by the way? What you said spirits and beer mostly? Yeah, I mean, uh, recent years I've been on a big tequila kick, so I've mm-hmm. been drinking more tequila. Sort of tequila and soda with lime juice is one of my favorites, uh, or a good beer, you know. But I, I don't like the super hoppy, quadruple hopped IPA situations. Agreed. So some some combination of those. Yeah, they've got the the hoppiness and beers have jumped the shark, and also the names yeah. are like they're like hop genocide. I'm like, I don't want to be drinking yeah. <laughs> hop genocide. Right, right. And how many more beers do we need that basically all taste the same? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like um, that sour beers are having, or I mean, I don't know if the moment is is done, but it does seem like people are getting more into sours and ciders and stuff like that. Uh, have you heard of back home beer? 
Yeah, the Iranian one, right? Yes, yes. This is a Persian-American beer. They have a couple different flavors. Uh, they're based in Brooklyn. I think they only sell in New York and D.C. right now, and I don't think they can ship. Um, but next time you're in New York, track down some back-home beer. They have like a Persian lager with, with blue salt added mm. that's fantastic. They've got another one, um, a sumac goza yeah. that, that's tart and really, really nice. That's so cool. Yeah, I was, I've been going back and forth on Instagram with them because I'm like loving oh, cool, what they're cool. doing. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's great. Their flavors are Zara. very cool. I think they serve their beer at, um, what's that Persian restaurant in New York? The uh, the one uh, Cafe Mogador. Them. No, 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 no. Mogador, I think is, I don't know if Mogador is Persian. No, it's the, uh, it's that woman. She's getting all the, everyone gives her all the awards. Um, I'm, <laughs> she's got two places in Brooklyn now. I, I know I had back home beer at Cafe Mogador. It is called Sofre. That's it. Oh, I'll have to check that one out. I don't know that one. Sofre. Yeah, everyone. Uh, she's uh, she's making some pretty cool food there. She's kind yeah. of modernizing Persian food. Cool. Um, all right. So what is your favorite drunk food? I would go with my own patented grilled egg and cheese sandwich. So Ooh. this is think of it like like a standard grilled cheese on white bread with the you know the outsides griddled in butter, crispy and golden, but with like a, a scrambled egg patty in the middle. So you're saying that you can perfect on the bodega egg and cheese sandwich. I mean, I think mine's pretty damn good. I gotta say, you know. So what I do is I I, I cook the eggs first and I form the, the scrambled eggs into patties. So if I'm making you know however many I, rectangles. Put them aside, and then I build the grilled cheese sandwiches with the butter on the outside, cheese on both sides, and then the eggs in the middle. And then I put the whole sandwich back onto into the pan to brown both sides and to kind of press it down, fuse it, let the cheese melt in to fuse together with the eggs so it becomes a cohesive whole. Golden brown and crispy on the outsides. Cut it on the diagonal. Grilled egg and cheese. Mm. You do uh, ketchup, any of that stuff? I don't, but I wouldn't fault someone who did. You know, okay. maybe hot sauce too. Good hot sauce. Yeah. I like the hot sauce and an egg and cheese. My problem is I can't do hot sauce and coffee. And I'm mm. typically having hot sauce or an egg and cheese in the morning with my coffee. So this is my this is this is my struggle in life with breakfast burritos, with egg and cheeses. This is I mean, this is a big problem, Dan. It's the biggest struggle I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> we need to start a GoFundMe for you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I'm not a huge breakfast eater. So even if I was going to eat a breakfast burrito, it would probably be more like at noons. So maybe I could do it between coffee sips. I mean, that's crazy because four out of five doctors say breakfast is the most important <laughs> meal of the day. You're just ignoring the doctors at this yeah, point. Yeah, I know. Screw them. <laughs> now, is that egg and cheese the same as your hangover cure? Yes. Yeah, okay, it, got it. both. Yes. Got yeah. it. At uh, any point in the drinking process. <laughs> right. The grilled egg and cheese will be there for you. <laughs> once the drinks start, the eggs are taken out of the fridge. <laughs> what is, uh, who is your favorite celebrity food personality? You know, I think I would probably go with Guy Fieri. Interesting. I, I, you know, I feel like there's some highbrow folks who like to crap on him, and I think it's unfair. I think that he has done a lot for mom and pop restaurants with with diners, drive-ins, and dives. He's featured a wide range of cuisines and people in small towns and all different folks from different backgrounds on that show. I also like 
I mean, I'm biased. Like, so I, I was on Guys Grocery Games years ago, and like, he was just like super nice. And I was like, oh, I'd love to have him on, on my podcast sometime, thinking he'd be like, okay, talk to my publicist, and I'd never hear from him again. Uh, but he like gave me his cell phone number, and I texted him, and the, like, he did have a publicist for me to talk to. But like, it happened. He came on the show. He didn't need to. He doesn't need me. I have nothing to offer him. But just like super nice. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, like when Guy Fieri and Alton Brown were kind of like the two top people on Food Network. I thought of them as sort of being like the Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras <laughs> duo. You know, right. when Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras were the top two tennis players, and Agassi had his fluorescent shirts and his spiky hair, and Sampras was very sort of like dressed in all white, very straight-faced. You know, there were a lot of people in tennis who thought like Agassi was sort of like a showman, a jerk, you know, a punk, and Sampras was the classy one. And over time, what anyone who follows tennis at all has learned is that Andre Agassi actually was universally beloved maybe actually well-beloved, super nice, sweet guy. Uh, and Pete Sampras was a total asshole. Everyone hated Pete Sampras, okay? Uh, he was a jerk. He would always make other people pay for his stuff and, never, and say he was going to pay them back and never, and never pay them back. He owes everyone <laughs> in professional tennis money. Um, and uh, he's a jerk. Um, it, you know, and, and so it's kind of like, like LA and San Francisco. People have this unfair stereotype of LA as being like, oh, that's the gaudy Hollywood place. And San Francisco is like the gritty place with soul and history. But actually, I find San Francisco to be kind of soulless and empty and LA to have a lot of interesting culture. Um, so I think that, that there's this duality with Guy Fieri and Alton Brown as well, where like, I think certain highbrow people think of Alton Brown as the intellectual, um, sort of high class one and Guy Fieri as this sort of like, dumb red state gorilla and i think that's mm -hmm. very unfair and that he's mm -hmm. knowledgeable and uh generally speaking a nice person who does a lot of charity work so i get that that's your philosophical answer for who is your favorite food personality yeah you're being a little bit of a social justice warrior by telling <laughs> us how great guy fieri is but on a day-to-day -day basis whose content you would actually be consuming and waiting and i i i i on bated breath waiting for whatever this person is is putting out is it still guy fieri or is it someone else there's no one super famous in the world of food who i i honestly don't i'm not i'm not it can a be very, a chef as well it could be I'm like i'm not a, a very avid consumer of food media to be honest with you mm -hmm. um i'm not that interested in it um which i guess probably like informs my podcast and our perspective you know for better or worse depending on what you're looking for in your podcast um, there's a food writer at Eater named Bettina Makalintal who I really, really like. And I, I would like read every article that she writes because I think she always just has really good insights and is very perceptive and just, you know, everything you want a good writer to be. Like she just sort of sees trends, identifies them and has interesting things to say about them. But in terms of like big food celebrities or chefs, there's not anybody whose work I consume that avidly. You know, I also sort of feel like I worry about inadvertently copying people. So, like, I also sort of stay away for for that reason. Well, I gave you what it seems like five options now to say Dana Dute, and you uh, <laughs> you didn't take any of them. I don't even listen to my own podcast, Dan. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> what is your desert island food? So you're trapped on a desert island. One yeah. food you're going to eat for the rest of your life. You will never get tired of it. Uh, I, I'd probably say cheese. Cheese? Yeah. I mean, like, does that have to be a specific kind of cheese? Or can no. Can I have all the cheeses? Actually, that's good because it is a very versatile food. Someone once said a pig because with a pig you can make, like, 30 different things. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say, you know, like, I, I, yeah, flour tortilla I feel like wouldn't be filling enough for my one food. I need something that's going to be a little more hearty. Yeah. 
But you know, cheese you, it, and this deserted island. I'm assuming that it's a tropical deserted island. If I was like in the North Sea and I'm like by Scotland, maybe I would want a pig or a sheep or something, something that I could also sleep inside on cold nights. <laughs> <laughs> you could sleep inside. You could take a bunch of Parmesan wheels and turn it into a sleeping bag. <laughs> Uh, is there uh, a specific favorite cheese if you had to bring two or three cheeses with you? There's, I, I, I was in France a couple years ago with my wife, and I fell in love with a cheese called Morbier. Yeah. That, that's still very high on my list. I mean, to me, though, I don't know if there's anything that I like better than really good fresh mozzarella. I mean, mm-hmm. made within the last few hours, cannot have been refrigerated, ideally still warm from being made and when you slice into it the milk just comes like pouring out and just like that plus i mean if i wasn't on my deserted island i would have a loaf of bread with it mm. and the cheese and the bread there's an, there's an italian market here on long island where i live called uncle giuseppe's they have great fresh mozzarella when i go shopping there i will get my groceries i'll get like a one pound ball of mozzarella and a loaf of bread and then i will sit in their little cafe area and that'll be my lunch i'll take a plastic knife and just work my way through a pound of mozzarella and half a loaf of bread and that's my lunch and it is glorious oh my god i'm picturing you just like sitting in the corner of this like (laughs) shanty little like they just put like a bunch of plastic chairs and someone walks by is like dan pashman is that you (laughs) and you're like look away yeah (laughs) and no you can't have any of my mozzarella (laughs) um i actually went uh recently to torisi the new torisi restaurant which is you know the fancy hot spot in new york but Take away all the fancy hot spotness. Take away all the celebs. They were making made-to-order balls of mozzarella mm. that you see the guy just like you know working it right, and then it comes to your plate, and it's 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 slightly hotter than warm because it just came out of the the boiling or the the hot water. And man, it brought me to tears. It was so good. It's incredible. And and, and once you've had mozzarella like that, you I cannot like I would never just buy ordinary fresh mozzarella in the supermarket, and I would never order it in a restaurant unless it was like, like the situation like you described. Because ninety nine point nine percent of the time, you order any mozzarella type appetizer salad, like it was not made. It's been refrigerated. Once right. the mozzarella has been refrigerated, it's half dead. It will never be the same again. And so. Um, Yes, uh, uh, tasting mozzarella like that has made me a mozzarella snob. Is there a food that you can't stand eating? I'm 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 very moody when it comes to like raw shellfish. Whoa, oysters, clams. Like when the mood hits me, I, I like it, but like it, it's it's a very odd thing. Like once once or twice a year, I'll be somewhere, and for, and and they'll be on the menu, and I'll be like, I want oysters. But other than that, I I they just do they. They're just kind of weird and gross to me. And then all of a sudden, once or twice a year, I switch flips. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, raw clams are definitely tough. They yeah. are a tough food to take down. And it's funny. You can probably relate to this. I, I grew up kosher. And uh, so when I when I took a walk on the wild side, the first shellfish that I ate was my fucking friend Dan Steingart took me to this restaurant. And it was like a giant – it was like a Chinese restaurant in Chinatown, like hardcore – and he gave it was a giant raw clam. Oh, like yeah, that's s- not. I mean, that might that maybe someday that would be delicious for you, but that's not a great place to start. No, that's not a good. That's not a good first shellfish experience of your life. No, it was awful. I wanted to like run to the nearest chabad and like apologize. <laughs> All right, last question. This is my favorite question. What uh, is or what are your restaurant pet peeves? Uh, pretentiousness and 
In what way? Like, give me a put, just put from a the minute point. you walk in the door. Like, you know, the 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 tenor of the people when you walk in the door should not be that like you're so lucky we let you in. It should be like we're so happy that you're here, and they should mm-hmm. treat every single person who walks in the door like that. Um, you know, uh, the the James Beard for whom the awards are named, the great food writer and critic was once asked, what's your favorite restaurant? And he said, whichever restaurant loves me the most. Right. And that, you know, like to me, like hospitality is everything. Like I, I, I would go back, like, if I go to a restaurant that makes me feel good and feel welcome, I'll go back to that place, even if the food wasn't amazing. On the other hand, if the food was amazing and they're jerks, well, maybe I would still go back, but I'd shake my fist at them. <laughs> I also just, you know, like um, boring shit on the menu. You know, like I don't need another, uh, please, the, 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 you see certain dishes, it's like as if as if suddenly they need to be, need to be on every restaurant menu, like the beets and goat cheese salad, the raw tuna, whatever. Yeah, the hamachi crudo. I mean, you know, I live on Long Island, and it's like you, you almost can't operate a restaurant if you don't serve fried calamari. I mean, right. if, you, if you have a taco restaurant, you need a, a fried calamari taco. And I right. love fried calamari sometimes, but like we don't need it at every restaurant. You know, we could go to the Italian restaurants for those. But on Long Island, you know, uh, because there's so many Italian-Americans, I think you just got to kind of, you know, you got to cater to that audience. So, right. um, yeah, just sort of like that kind of boring stuff and overcooked burgers. If I say rare, come on, just make it rare. That's a good one. I, I think my one of my new pet peeves, which I'm, which I'm workshopping, is uh, I don't know why – the Japanese name of the fish is used for a lot of the fish in non-Japanese restaurants. And my buddy Max turned me on to this because he went to some – It's a, there's, a, there's a new restaurant here called Salty Girl in Los Angeles, which is the fancy – it's like the hot new – like, you know, they take the, the Boston kind of lobster uh, a clam shack but, like, make it fancy and, you know – and their sea urchin on the menu is, is they write uni. And he's like, why is it uni? This is, there's nothing Japanese about the preparation. <laughs> right. There's nothing Japanese about the way. Why, why do they call it uni? And I was like, huh, I never thought about that. And then you realize like they do it with hamachi instead of yellowtail, like in things that are, just have nothing to do with the Japanese preparation. Right. It's just because people, people think of it as being somehow more high-end and they can charge more for it probably. Years ago, I interviewed um, this guy, Doug Sohn, who used to run a famous sausage joint in Chicago called Hot Doug's. And he said the most valuable lesson he learned in culinary school was that uh, you can only charge a dollar for a side of peas, but if you call it petit pois la Francais, you can charge three seventy five. <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. I think we'll end on that. Dan, thank you so so much. Uh, they say uh, don't meet your heroes, but uh, they are wrong. Uh, it is uh, a pleasure thanks. to meet you. And you uh, tell the people uh, where they can find you, what you're up to, all that stuff. Yes, Sporkful Podcast. Get it where you ever get Green Eggs and Dan. And I hope you'll listen and check it out. And um, if you want to check out my pasta shapes, they're all available through Sfolini. You can order online. They'll ship the whole pack of all my shapes to your door. It's S-F-O-G-L-I-N-I.com. Amazing. And I shouldn't have just said, don't meet your heroes, because that made it weird that you're not supposed to make people... <laughs> no, you can do it at the end. I just so feel like it's not, a good, it's not a good thing to say at the beginning. No, I'm just going to end it by saying... Fuck you, Dan. <laughs> no, I hope your foot gets better, and uh, hopefully yeah, yours uh, too. Your ankle we, too. Yeah, we can see each other without our boot, without yeah. the aircast boot. Uh, yeah, yeah, pleasure. Yeah. Thanks again, Dan. Yeah. 
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.